Hey, if you believe that Jesus is still here, make some noise right now. If you believe that Jesus is still here. Friends here uh, at the other campuses, those that are watching online, it's a joy to be able to join you again. As you heard earlier, we're on the series called We Are Here. And I want to make a simple point before we read our passage together in one voice. In this series, We Are Here, we're spending 11 weeks talking about values, commitments, who we are. And so as a result, there's four main topics that we're addressing. We're talking about serve. We're talking about prayer, pray. We're talking about sharing. And then we're also talking about worship. And we're spending last Sunday and this weekend on this topic called worship. Now, one of the points that I want to make to you, and I think this is so important is that if I had to choose the most important topic, and I'm not just trying to hype up today's sermon, I believe the most important conversation here is worship. Now, why? It's because you've been hearing in these videos in midweeks last Sunday that worship is what we do in response to who God is and what God has done in our lives. And if we were to apply that to this conversation, that means that serving is actually worship if it's in response to who God is. That prayer is worship if we do it in response. That sharing is worship if it's in response. So in many ways, what we're saying, we are here, is that it's an 11-week series on worship. But if you forget the who we worship, then even good things like prayer and service and sharing could actually be led astray. This is why it's so important that we again affirm and proclaim the who that we worship. It's Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Now, it's also really important that we remember the central theme of worship in our highs and in our lows. Now, why? Because in our highs, what ends up happening is that eyes, attention, even affection begins to come towards human people. In your work, in your studies, in your neighborhood, in your relationships, even in ministry, it's amazing how attention can come towards human people. I remember the first time I heard about Willow Creek. I'm 49 years old right now, and so I think it was right when I became a Christian. At the age of 18 or 19, I had heard about this church in Chicago called Willow Creek. And I began to hear numerous aspects describing this church. It was a few years later at the age of 25 on a cross-country drive right after we got married. My wife and I driving from Princeton, New Jersey all the way to Seattle. We had made a stop in South Barrington, Chicago, and we sat right over there. So remember... And I was just stunned by the sheer enormity of everything. The sanctuary, 
the chairs, the stage, the lights, all of these things. And when people speak about Willow Creek, we hear stuff about leadership, about the global summit. We hear about programs. We hear about buildings. And I want you to know all of those things are all peripheral. They're all secondary. They're all tertiary to the answer to the question, who do we worship? And as we do things well, as we do things well, it's inevitable that eyes are going to come towards human people. That's why even in the highs, we have to especially remember, I must decrease. We must decrease so that Jesus would increase. Now, it's not just for the church, it's also for you. When attention comes your way, may you be quick and intentional and purposeful about giving Jesus Christ glory and honor in your lives. Now, in the highs, but certainly in our lows too. Because in our lows, and in the past year and a half, this church has gone through probably the lowest of low seasons. But in our low, the temptation is to judge people by the worst mistake in their lives. And we have to remember, if God is sufficient for us in our highs, then Jesus is surely sufficient in our weakness and in our lows as well. This is why this 11-week series, I think, you'll look back and say, God We pray that you would have done something in our church to again remind us, to again confirm to us that when it's all said and done, it is really all about, only about you. 11-week series, we are here, worship. So it's with that in mind, I thought it would be appropriate for us, because as we're speaking about worship, In the scriptures, we see the people of God being instructed to worship God, praise God, revere God in lots of different ways. And we're going to learn about those ways and actually try to model it. One of the ways that they did that is that a priest, a minister would come and read the word of God. And oftentimes they would recite and read God's word together. And they would also stand in reverence for God's word. And so with that in mind, I want to invite you, those that are watching at our other campuses online, let's rise to our feet for those who are able. And we're going to read our scripture passage for today together in one voice. And we're going to be reading from Psalm 150. Let's begin. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So God, thank you again so much for the privilege to study your word. 
we invite the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to be with us. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Please have a seat. As we continue the second part of this section on worship, and our dear sister Megan did such a phenomenal job introducing us on the heart of worship and why we do it, I thought it might be good to remind everyone, but especially those that may have missed last week, catch it online, go online, watch it, study it, be blessed by it, but I thought it might be good for us to recite, to remember the working definition of how our sister Megan introduced worship to us. So what's a definition of worship? Worship is our full life response to who God is and what he has done. Once more, worship is our full life response to who God is and what he has done. Now, if I were to add a couple things to it, I would say the reason why we should worship is because this is an invitation. It's a commandment for you and I to become worshipers of Jesus. In addition, scriptures, particularly in Revelation, it gives us a vision of what our eternity, for those who have placed their trust in Jesus, it gives us a vision, an imagination of what our eternity looks like. And what's that? It's to worship God. The reason why you and I should be growing in depth, in commitment, in passion, in joyful worship now is because we're going to be doing it forever. This is why it matters. And so with that in mind, what I want to focus on today, it's going to be a little bit, I think, intense, interesting. My prayer is that God would help us to engage it in a prophetic way, but also a pastoral way, is that I want to speak to you about five barriers that prevent us from growing in worship. So that's the question that I want you to think about. What prevents us? What prevents you? What prevents me from growing in worship? Now, there's numerous things that we could speak about, but I'd like to focus, as I've been praying for your congregation, as I've been praying for the season at Willow, I would like to share with you five barriers that prevent us from growing in our depth, passion, commitment to worship. Here's number one. Number one is that we think worship is an event or a production. And so as a result, for some of us, if we're not careful, we actually even look at church as an event or production. Friends, church is not a 70-minute service, if you're lucky. Church is not a building. Church is not a program. Church is not a production. Remember the definition that we gave you about a month ago about what church is, and I want to share that with you once more. The church is a family of imperfect women and men, young and old, of all backgrounds, ethnicity stories, who gather together by the grace of Christ to worship Jesus, depend on the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to be on mission together for the glory of God. 
That's the church. It doesn't matter how large or small the congregation, how large or small your building. It doesn't depend on lights and symbols. It depends on people who gather together with these things in mind. The danger, I believe, particularly in the Western context, is that it's become so focused around a production. And if it's a production, I'm just going to go there, is that if we're not careful, it almost becomes like an entertainment service. And if it's an entertainment service, then what are we going to do? We're going to make sure we get the best singers, the best musicians, the best speakers, the best interviews. And after a while, it begins to create something in our hearts and minds where we come to simply consume. And you may never say it with your lips, but you might think in your mind, entertain me. Give me the best. It spoils us. It makes us feel entitled. And after a while, it's happened in my church in Seattle, people start having the wackiest conversations like, who's your favorite singer? Who's your favorite musician? Who's your favorite speaker? At our church in Seattle, I don't know about yours, but people would call and say, is Eugene or someone else speaking or not? Because if they are, I'll come. If not, I won't come because it's a production. And I don't think God ever planned for the church to resemble anything like an entertainment production service. You see, worship is all about God. Who God is and what God has done for us. We worship for that and that reason alone. And if it's not a production or an entertainment service, then we realize it's not something we just do for an isolated time. It's something that we are every day of our lives. Our prayer is, God, help me to be a worshiper every single moment of the day. What you do during this gathering here is not some sort of an aberration. It's simply a continuation of what you do in the larger world. It's something that we do together. It's something that we do Monday through Saturday. And then we gather again once more affirming who God is and what God has done. You see, if it's a or not a production or entertainment service, we realize that our consistency of integrity, of character, of pursuing the heart of God outside the 75-minute service, it matters. When there's a dissonance, a disconnect with what we sing, what we preach, what we pray now, and how we seek to live our lives, there's a word for it, and it's called hypocrisy. The world is watching, and they're not necessarily looking for perfection because that doesn't exist, but is there a genuine attempt by the grace of Jesus for us to live what we sing, teach, pray? In the Old Testament, there is a passage from Amos chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. It's a beautiful, profound, pastoral, prophetic passage. And one of these days, we'll talk about it more in depth. But during that particular passage, Jesus 
Or God speaks through his prophet named Amos, and God says these words to the people of God. Listen. Amos 5, 21 to 24, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. You see, God is speaking to his people who are saying and singing one thing as they gather together and yet are not living out the character of who God is. That's number one. Worship is not a production and entertainment event service. Here's number two, and it's this. We struggle with fear and timidity. Now, let me just be very vulnerable. I know that as a pastor, I should tell you I should be all fired up and gung-ho about Jesus. But I want to be vulnerable and share with you that I acknowledge that in our cultural climate, there's something shifting. And as things are shifting, there are times I struggle, particularly being timid about my faith. I used to say, I'm trying to be sensitive to my neighbors, but if I'm honest, I realize that there is something about an air, a culture of timidity that is invading Christians everywhere. Now, that also impacts the way that we worship. We're more occupied by how we look. Do I look proper? Do I look dignified? Do I look professional? Do I look respectful? We care more about how we appear to people than really leaning in in our worship of who our God is. Now, there's room for personality. There's room for backgrounds. There's room for styles and preferences and all of these things. But I do want to push back a little bit and ask you this question. Why is it that you and I get so wild, excited, and passionate about certain things? Sports, college football this past weekend. We get excited about music or pop culture. And yet, when we gather in the house of God, when we're living out our faith in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, we somehow become so reserved, so timid about our identity as followers and worshipers of Jesus. Man, you know what I'm talking about. I think Chicago as a whole city, some of the most rabid sports fans in the country. The Cubs, the White Sox, the Bears, Blackhawks, and the list goes on and on. I've actually seen snippets of videos on YouTube where I've seen Willow Creekers at concerts at Soldier Field. Whether it's U2 or Beyonce or Kanye, hey, don't be embarrassed, I saw you at a Bon Jovi concert. We can get so excited, so passionate, and so loud about these things. And yet, 
When we gather in the house of God, something happens. There's an aura, a spirit of timidity. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would cause a breakthrough in your life. And a breakthrough in this congregation. Where we're not reserved and timid about our love and our affection, our adoration for Jesus. Sometimes when we struggle with fear, it's because we're obsessed by how other people might think about us. Maybe our children, maybe our parents, maybe our neighbors, maybe our spouse. Listen, when Jesus says Jesus loves you, he doesn't look at your neighbors, parents, children, siblings. He looks at you as he looks at every single person and says, I love you. Jesus deserves our best Jesus deserves our attention, affection, and adoration. Sometimes because we're afraid, it's because we're insecure. And you might be thinking, well, gosh, I can't sing. I can't play instruments like Tracy. I can't sing like Fatai or James and Matt and others. Earlier this year when I began coming to Willow to visit and speaking each month, and most of you had no idea who I was. I was out in the lobby in the foyer, and someone came up to me and said, James, I love how you sing. (laughs) First of all, Asians don't all look the same. Second, don't disrespect this beard. And you know what I said? I said, you're welcome. Because I would love to sing like James and Fatai and others. But here's the thing. Jesus is not looking for singers and instrumentalists. He's looking for worshipers. He's looking for worshipers. He's looking for worshipers. That's you, me, and us. So with that in mind, what I'm saying is that we need to lean in on the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I think in the Western church, all of us that's proper and prim and professional, we love speaking about God and Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit always gets ignored. The Holy Spirit is a central part of who God is. It's God. So we need to lean in on the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. For so long, churches, we've coined terms, and I get where we're coming from, about being seeker-sensitive. We want to be sensitive to our neighbors and non-Christians. That's good and important. But what good is seeker-sensitivity if we're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Sometimes we might say, come, Holy Spirit, but only in this way. Come, Holy Spirit, but only in a way that makes me feel affirmed and comfortable. You've heard it from your worship leaders or pastors. They'll say, hey, as we're worshiping God, if you feel comfortable, raise your hands. Sometimes I just want to say, I don't care if you feel comfortable. Worship God. Worship Jesus. He's worthy of your worship. And sometimes that means gently, pastorally, it means that you leave room and space 
for leaders that you trust to guide you as we're open to the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I think we might say, come Holy Spirit, but in a, um, a Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist kind of way. What does that mean? Come Holy Spirit, but only in this box. Friends, you can't contain God, the Holy Spirit, in a box. So I pray, even right now, for the Holy Spirit, its presence, for the power of the Holy Spirit to cause a breakthrough in your life in the name of Jesus. I pray for the Holy Spirit to break through any timidity, any fear that exists in this congregation in the name of Jesus. Here's the third thing that serves as a barrier, and it's this. Bluntly, maybe we don't know how to worship. Now, I get that. Anytime we're beginning something new in our lives, there's lessons, there's mentoring, there's discipleship that needs to take place in our lives, whatever that might be. Right now, I'm teaching a good friend of mine how to fish. I love fishing. And so it takes basic transferring of information. This is a rod. This is a reel. These are lures. This is how you cast. This is why we use these kinds of lures. And in the same way, sometimes we have to be very honest and say, maybe I haven't read the totality of Scripture And I haven't read how God, the Holy Spirit, begins to work in his people, teaching them how to worship. Now, I wish we had more time for this, but let's talk about some of those main ways, primary ways, in which God commands, invites his people to worship. Now, I want you to look at this list for a second. And when your worship leaders and pastors are encouraging us to lift up our hands, to shout, clap, I want you to realize it's not because they're trying to be hip or trendy. It's not because they're trying to, you know, use some sort of a a, a social, sociological technique. It's because all of these things, wait for it, are biblical. They're in the word of God. And God instructs his people, certainly with voices. And you learned about this last Sunday. With our instruments, we read this in Psalm 150. Do you know that about 30, 40 years ago, there used to be these major debates about whether or not the drum set was satanic? In the church, people would have conversations about, is it appropriate? Now, it's one thing to say, I might not enjoy it per se, But when we read the scripture, God can use any and every instrument for his glory and honor. Hands. What does the word of God say about lifting our hands? Lifting our hands, Psalm 134 verse 2 simply says, lift your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. I'm timid. I'm shy. I get it. I'm right there with you. But we're not going to learn until we try and try again and keep trying. Now, we'll get to this. The next one, the knees, in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 24, 
Knees also accompanying people literally falling, not just on their knees, but people would also fall prostrate, literally flat face down on the ground out of reverence for who God is. Leviticus chapter 9 verse 24 says this, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offerings and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down out of reverence. What does it mean in Psalm 95, 6 when it says, come people of God, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Later today, after the sermon, we want to invite you, for those who are able, maybe in the aisleways or maybe at the altar, to come and to get on your knees, to practice that which God instructs us in the Word of God. Shout! Psalm 98.4, shout to the Lord, all the earth, break out in praise and sing for joy. Shout, yes, God. You're awesome. Shout for joy. If we can't do now what we're going to be doing for eternity, I don't know how to help you. Shout for joy. It goes on to say in Psalm 47.1, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Psalm 98.8 let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. As odd as this might be, it's not just human beings, but God's creation, including animals and trees and the ocean, also clap, proclaiming the goodness of God. What does the word of God say about dance? 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14, here's David the king, supposed to be acting in a particular dignified, royal, priestly, kingly way, and David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Psalm 149, verse 3, 4 says, let them praise his name with dancing. And make music to him with timbrel and harp, for the Lord takes delight in his people. Now, that's the last thing that I want to share about this list. In the Old Testament, they did these things, and they became more obsessed by doing it, and they lost sight of something called the heart. Our heart matters. We're not simply trying to encourage you without thinking, without having your eyes set on Jesus doing these things because then it's just routine. But when we do it in response, as our eyes are focused, fixed, gazed on Jesus, God gives us these beautiful opportunities to worship him. Here's number four. Number four, and I've got five, so let's rush through this. Number four is the phrase, I don't feel like it. Now, I get it. 
As a pastor, I want you to know that there are weekends or Sundays or worship services that I might not be at a hundred. And I want you to know it's okay to have feelings and emotions. It's okay to be aware of them. There's room for our doubts, lament, grief, and questions. You know why it's okay? Because God can handle it. He's God. God can handle all of these things. What I'm simply suggesting tenderly to you is that while we're aware of our feelings, let's make sure that we're not ruled, we're not lorded, we're not paralyzed, we're not enslaved by our feelings. We worship not our feelings and emotions, we worship Jesus. We serve not because we always feel like it, but because Jesus is Lord. We give because Jesus is Lord. We pray even when we have doubts because Jesus is Lord. We share the good news because Jesus is Lord. We worship because, friends, Jesus is Lord. Here's the last one that I want to share with you, and it's an awkward phrase, but let me say it and explain it. We think Jesus is our homeboy. Now, what do I mean by we think Jesus is our homeboy? I'm so grateful that Jesus drew near. I'm so grateful that Jesus became one of us. I'm so grateful that Jesus calls us friends. I'm so grateful that Jesus is our good shepherd, that he knows us by name. But let's not mistake that just because Jesus came and drew near to us, he's not just merely our friend. He's not just our homeboy. Jesus Christ is so much more. In the Gospel of Mark chapter 5, verse 41, the disciples were absolutely terrified. Why? Because they were out on the sea, they were about to have, and they had a near-death incident. Jesus wakes up, and Jesus commands, rebukes the winds and the sea. And the disciples ask this question, who is this man? They asked each other. Even the winds and waves obey him. And friends, as we close, I want to challenge you with that question. Who is this man? Is he merely just a friend? Is he merely a good moral teacher? A political figure that we can use to manipulate our agendas? Who is this man that even the winds and sea obey. Who is this man, friends, that this man, Jesus, would call out to a man named Lazarus who's been dead for three days and had the audacity to say, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus walks out of the tomb. Who is this man that would have such tender compassion on a crowd of thousands of thousands of men, women, and children? And with five pieces of loaves and two pieces of fish, Jesus feeds them. Who is this man that would get on his knees, spit on the mud, mixes it, applies it to a blind man's eyes? 
orders him to go. And as the blind man walks, he begins to see. Who is this man that gives sight to the blind? Who is this man that gives freedom to the hurting and lonely and oppressed? Who is this man that would tell a little girl who had just died and say the words, Talitha kum. Little girl, I say to you, get up. And this girl gets up. Who is this man that walks on water? Who is this man that forgives sin and sinners like you and me? Who is this man that has made you, me, us, who were once dead, now alive? Friends, this man is not just a man. He's not just a good teacher. This is Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He is the way, the truth, and the life, the name above every name. Every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. Who is this man? He is worthy to be worshiped. He is worthy. Say that with me. He is worthy. He is worthy. Jesus, you are worthy. Jesus, you are worthy. We thank you, God. Thank you, God. We worship you. We worship you.